He's kind of like the Joe Rogan of the hospitality industry right now. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. What's up, Slick Talkers? Welcome back. And this is our first ever Operators Roundtable, at least in 2024. And I can't wait to do more of these. They're so much fun. I love the format. And I had a fun time prepping for this one. We had Robin Cragen from Moving Mountains, Megan Moylan from the Outpost Group, Dennis from Castiola, and of course, my friend and co-host on Good Morning Hospitality, Brandy Canale with Romy. Now, you may have heard yesterday on the podcast feed that we are dropping a new original called Workflows and Espressos. So one, shameless plug to check that out. Megan Moyland on this panel, a round table, is the host, and we're so excited for what she's doing with this podcast. But before we give away the farm, basically, this whole round table is focused on operating at scale and properly operating at scale. What does that look like? How do brands and companies in our industry look at that? And now we're going to be doing a lot more roundtables in the future. So if you're interested in being in one of them, hit us up. Let Kelsey, our producer, know. If you have not heard of Kelsey, check out the show notes, emails in the, the description and go check out some of our old episodes where we do a highlight episode on all the episodes that go out every month. So how many times can you say episode? All right. Without further ado, get ready for our first operator roundtable in three, two, one. You're listening to Slick Talk, the hospitality podcast, a podcast for those who are in and around the hospitality industry who love, live, and breathe what they do. You can join us for candid and unscripted conversations with hospitality experts and founders as we go deeper into their personal stories while they're sharing their triumphs and trials that got them to where they are today. I'm your host, Will Slickers, and you're listening to an episode of Slick Talk, the hospitality podcast. Now, let's begin. All right, everybody, welcome to our first Operators Roundtable of 2024. I'm your host and moderator, Will Slickers, founder of Hospitality.fm, and I'm so excited because we exclusively picked four amazing operators in the industry with different property types, different business models, and of course, different geographic locations to make it you know, a little less competitive, to say the least. I'm really excited to introduce our first panelist. She is not only executive director of the Outpost Group out in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, but she's also a new time podcast host with her first official podcast. Maybe second one will come in the future, but first official podcast with us at Hospitality FM launching January 23rd called Workflows and Espressos. So welcome Megan Moylan to the first panel intro. Great to see you, my friend. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. You really dropped the bomb too. You said it. Uh, I said it. it. Yeah, we're, we're, we're doing it. We're announcing the pod as Kelsey and I are going through your episodes. We're, we're getting excited, you know, got to get that anticipation. I can't wait. Um, I know it's going to be good. I'm pumped. Also great partners with that pod. So we'll, we'll share more next week, 
But to introduce our next amazing panelist, we have the one and only Mr. Magenta, always in the pink shirts or the not pink, but magenta shirts at conferences. You can't miss them a mile away. We have the founder of Castiola Vacation Homes, Dennis. So, so great to see you, my friend. How are you hey, doing all the way in you. Orlando? Good, good, good. Living the life. I can't uh, can't imagine that you're having a hard day with the uh, beautiful sunshine weather that you guys have. It uh, yeah, it's a little bit cloudy, but uh, you just snowed me the outside of your cabin, and you know, we don't have three <laughs> snow, so I, I guess that's a win, right? Yes, very much a win, hundred um, percent. To introduce our next panelist, I have to say. She did say this line first, but she is my tied for first co-host, uh, favorite co-host I get to work with every Monday. She is not only that, but she has just been an amazing operator. She leads the way when it comes to urban operations. And of course, she's probably asked to be on every single panel at every conference and every podcast there is in the industry. The one and only Brandy Canale. Welcome to, of course, the first round table of the year. How are you doing, my friend? I'm fantastic. That was such a glowing opening. Thank you so much. <laughs> of course. And I, you uh, are my tied for first favorite co-host. <laughs> that's what I thought. That's what I thought. Uh, well, happy Friday, not happy Monday, but so good to have you on. Thank you for joining. And of course, I can't forget the moment making mountain moving man, myth and legend, Robin Cragen, all the way out here in Colorado, which he's actually not in Colorado today. He is in Phoenix, Arizona. So don't let the background fool you. Robin, how are you doing? Good to see you, Will. Good to see everybody else. Lovely to see my friends from the industry gathered around, around the table here. Yes. I'm so excited. This, uh, this group is super special to me. Not only have you guys been guests on my podcast or your co-host of a podcast with me, or you're doing a podcast in the network. Uh, I've had you guys all on multiple times and it's just really special to get you guys together, hear your insights. And the title of this webinar or round table, I won't even call it a round uh, webinar. I hate that word technically. Uh, but I will say it's all about properly operating at scale. So I use the word properly as an intentional word because I think they're, has been maybe some uh, things that happened in 2023 and early this year that people think they're operating at scale, but technically they're really failing at scale. And uh, so I would love to open up the year or kind of the, the topic is the you know reflections of 2023. And Robin, since I introduced you last, I want to start with you first and kind of go, what are you thinking about when it came to 2023? for moving mountains as a whole, but also our industry. Do you have any reflections that really stood out as you have been able to take time and reflect back? Uh, thanks, Paul. Yeah, we've, you know, we have so many um, different things going on in our business that I think it's important um, for any operator kind of to narrow that down into, um, you know, what are the, what are the big things to work on? Um, you know, for us, it's been, um, I'd say a year where we've been looking for those incremental gains. We definitely listen to the people out there saying that we're looking at some headwinds, potentially time to sharpen the pencil, time to make sure we're looking at our budgets. Um, so we've been playing, paying really close attention to every expense, um, every line item in the budget, making sure that um, you know expenses um, match what's expected. And it's the less than sexy piece of this business is that we are running a business it's about experiences and fun and all the rest of it, but it's important that uh, we stay on top of the financials. So 
that was a huge focus for us in moving mountains. You know, we we've gone through a lot of growth in the last three to four years. And I think that is the great challenge is when you have that many more moving parts, you've got that many more expenses to keep an eye on. And our philosophy has really been driven around the idea that um, if we could find a 1% gain in every corner of our business, that cumulatively that adds up to something. And that, that really has played out for us. So I'm very pleased with the work we did in this area. We spend a lot of time looking at spreadsheets, not so exciting, but um, the results matter because it means that we can continue um, pushing on as we are. I love that. And I couldn't agree more with the financial discipline side. It's a message I'm going to be preaching a lot this year and probably a lot on this round table. So we'll come back into other aspects of your business, you know, moving beaches, moving oceans, uh, as you announce uh, with us, uh, I think sometime, yeah, Christmas last year, almost a year ago. And so now, Megan, I'm very curious for you. Uh, it's, you know, been very interesting to hear you say on other panels or, or round tables that, you know, I think Outpost had a really good year compared to what a lot of other operators have, may have felt uh, in 2023. What reflections have you guys had when it came to the overall year for you? Yeah, it was crazy. So while most people were still experiencing this like insane high in 2022, our bubble totally popped and we started to normalize in 2023 and actually had the best year that we've ever had. And our inventory was doubling year over year until about 2021, where we started to make smaller increases in our net gain year over year. Um, but 2023 was actually great. After a very, very scary year, we took a lot of the same precautions that you did, Robin, and focused a lot on expenses. So we shaved as much as we possibly could off of unnecessary expenses. We cut down on sending massive teams to conferences and which, you know, that can add up and cost $50,000 in a single calendar year. So we spent a lot of time um, making sure that we were focusing on the revenue management side of things and ensuring that we were optimizing everything, every open date at every open property that we possibly could and communicated proactively with our homeowners in a way that we hadn't before. Um, and then cut out a lot of a lot of unnecessary stuff. And I think it was hard on the GNA side of things, like specifically with our people, money that we were spending years prior, right? When we were swimming in it from COVID, we saw this like scary possibility in 2022 that that could not be the case. And I think it was a way for us to really understand like, okay, how are we sustainably going to be moving forward when we don't have the supply in Jackson to double year over year in inventory anymore? Like there is an end insight for how much we can grow in this market. So we have to focus on what we can do to optimize what we have. Um, but I'm hopeful that 2024 is going to be similar to what we experienced in 2023. Um, and it'll be a banner year. All right. Sorry to interrupt the pod. And I know this is a really good roundtable discussion already. You're welcome. I loved prepping this whole thing. But we have to give a shout out to our partners at Hostfully and Hudson Creative Studios. So hopefully, really quickly, if you don't know this, is already, they're a property management platform, right? And property management platforms are the core of your business. Later on in this whole roundtable, we're going to discuss tech stacks and what that looks like and kind of tech wins. But for me, Hostfully has been such a great tool. We've used them ever since we launched Recreation Rentals back in 2021. And now we are at 20 properties and Hostfully has been the heart of our operations and our business in the sense of handling reservations, managing calendars, doing guest messaging and automated triggers, plus syncing the rest of our tech stack together. 
Now, I'm a big fan of creating a brand and allowing my guests to book directly. That's why we partnered with Hudson Creative Studios, which has built our book direct site and also has built their own booking engine in order to allow your guests to book directly. Now, the best thing about this is that they're perfectly integrated with Hostfully. Now, we only went with them because of that and because, you know, the founder, Ellie, he's awesome. He's going to be on the podcast here soon. And we just really, truly believed in the product. Now, it's really smooth. It's really seamless. And if you check out our website, I think you'll like it just as much as we do, where it's seamless and we feel like the guest is also going to have a good experience without it being clunky and really breakable, if that makes sense. So without further ado, check out the links in the show notes. Make sure you grab our partnership offers. If you want $100 off, three months off your guidebooks, plus a sweet discount at Hudson Creative Studio, then go ahead and check them out. Link in the show notes. Great friends of the pod. Show them some love. And now, of course, back to the roundtable. I love that. Well, there's more to come to on what you just said, but uh, I want to kind of pivot to, to Dennis really quick. You know, we we know that, at least I know that, for all the listeners and people watching the recap and all this other stuff, um, Cassiola is not just Cassiola Vacation Homes. You guys have ventured out into your guest store company, which is acquiring homes and investing and running them under the Castiola brand. You also have franchises. Now, it's not a good sign when a business in our industry goes out of business in general. It's always kind of a, a rocky experience. And so we saw this company called Here, which is similar to Guest Store, go out of business in 2024, first week of the year. Um, how do you guys see things playing out within the overall, not just management arm, but your, your, you know, investing arm as well? Yeah. Um, to be honest, I was not really surprised with the news. I mean, I didn't see it coming or I didn't have any inside information, but just based on the projections that I saw when you could uh, sign up uh, to invest in those properties, I just knew that they were never going to be able to to um, get those uh, returns. Uh, um, I, I looked at their DNA numbers. Uh, we know that those numbers are not always uh, reality and that they include a lot of the fees. So we have been very, very careful with, uh, uh, with investing, especially in the last uh, year or, or so. Um, interest rates are high. Uh, property uh, values are, are very high, so you have to be very, very careful because one wrong deal can can re really bring the returns on the, of the whole portfolio down. Now, you see a couple of other players that are very successful um, in this field. They're really building one-of-a-kind experiences, while the, the portfolio from here was, was more like what other Airbnbs look like or other short-term rentals. So I think if you want to do it successful, you really need to stand out and, and bring it to the next level or find those those hidden gems, those uh, uh, deals that really work out. Uh, that, that makes sense. And I, uh, I do want to make a comment for any of the live viewers. I can see that we have quite a few of you on. If you have comments, put them into the sidebar chat. Kelsey, who is running things behind the scenes, shout out to Kelsey on the team, uh, making it really easy for me to run and have actual conversation with you guys. Uh, she will make sure that we get to you guys at the end. So please put anything in there. And Dennis, thank you for sharing that. I'm going to come back to you guys around that conversation as well, as it's a very interesting topic. But uh, to get to my tied for first, 
favorite co-host, Brandy. I am very curious. You know, we have mentioned many times on Good Morning Hospitality um, in our conversations one-on-one in group settings through Retreat New York, for example. p and super important, as Robin and everyone else has already mentioned. Uh, where did that kind of, I guess, reflection moment come into to you, you and Romy and the team over there when uh, looking at back at, you know, 2023? Yeah, we had the realization um, kind of like a little late um, last year that our, you know, that the landscape was changing from a revenue perspective. And it's easy to overlook your expenses when money is flowing in. And so we hadn't been as diligent, frankly, with monitoring the PL and having these regular, um, you know, PL meetings and really scrutinizing every cost. So once we realized that that, like, that really needed our attention in 2023, much like everybody else on this call, we like really drilled down. And something our finance team has been doing a really great job of is um, really turning the PL into a visual presentation and we're working on automating that so that we can see like different the PL broken down different ways by building by market months like all these different things that we can toggle on and off to see if there are anomalies things we might be missing if we're just looking at a giant excel sheet or going through NetSuite so it be, and also having different people from different parts of the company oh, like look things over because we might not be aware of what's happening in a specific, um, you know, in the maintenance department in New Orleans, we might think that that bill looks fine, but they might call to our attention that that's, you know, that's not what it should be. So really having a lot of different people take a look at our PL and our financials and that is something that like that's something we're going to maintain even in good times because i think you get lulled into this false sense of confidence when things are going really well and you get caught a little bit when things start to you know 2022 was just like this high so i think uh now we have our kind of all of our stuff dialed in a bit more and um we're going to continue that through 2024. i love that and so this one is more targeted towards dennis and robin but i also want to include everybody in this so i want to get your take dennis robin i feel like your brands you guys get to be a little bit more picky on the homes that you take into your program and that you put under your your uh your management uh robin many times when i was with you on our tours of steamboat springs you would say yes this house was with us but at the end of the day it didn't you know meet our standards when it came to x y and z and i was shocked because on the outside i'm like holy crap this house is beautiful i would i would kill to manage this home um and dennis you same thing you've you've shown many times to me uh when i point out certain properties in florida whether it's in miami orlando um you know you pick out certain things that i feel like you could just say are a little bit higher of a standard than most airbnb hosts or people are just getting into short-term rentals so when it comes to 2024, Brandy just said, you know, 2022 was kind of this high. I feel like everyone was just growing, cash was flowing, people were traveling, demand was way higher than supply. It shifted. Do you guys feel like in 2024 you still get to be as picky, or do you think that everyone's going to be really kind of opening up the doors to newer ideas of lower standard, or maybe not even lower standard, but just different type of homes and uh, tiers within their management program? I think it's going to get even more important now to pick the right homes because it's especially the lower segment that's that's going to suffer. If there's there's less demand, people are, are not going to pick the, the, the ugly homes, right? So uh, I think this will become more important than ever, not just the home, but also for our markets than the amenities, the location in, in downtown Miami. Those are the kind of things, if, if you have a good home with good amenities in a great location, 
those will still uh, rent but it's that that yeah below that that average standard uh, types of homes that are gonna have a really really hard time and a lot of them i i predict are gonna leave short-term rentals which which would be good uh, because there's an oversupply um in in this market so uh, it will balance itself out a little bit more what about you robin yeah. how do you feel uh, from the mountaintop um, I would, I would agree, Dennis. I mean, I think this is a conversation about quality over quantity. And, uh, you know, there's a lot more conversation in our industry today about, um, you know, you hear about people realize the realization that if you thin your portfolio, um, you know, it isn't necessarily, um, having more homes that's going to make you more money. Uh, some of the, when the owner is not fully in alignment with you and your values and your goals, then you can often find yourself in conflict with that owner. That becomes a huge time suck. Time is money. So I think when you're not pulling in the same direction, then realizing that you're going to be better off without them, that's kind of a moment of, uh, of growth for a property manager. Um, you hear many people talking about the early stages of life of their company. You know, we've all been there. We've taken homes that we wish we hadn't. And uh, the reason we took the home is because we've got a maintenance guy to keep busy. We've got housekeepers to keep busy, and we think that that might be what our guests are looking for. Um, I could tell you it didn't come easy to us to realize this. I think we've learned it in some cases the hard way over the last 25 years. Um, but definitely, I'm I'm always impressed when I'm hearing other managers talking about we shrunk our portfolio intentionally by 10% last year, and we're making 20% more money out of it because we're providing our guests with what they need. Our staff are spending less time putting out fires with the owner. Um, we kind of feel like uh, we have a portfolio that's more aligned with our brand. And, you know, it's a conversation about your brand and what you want to be in the marketplace. You know, and I think more as you hear people talking about the idea that brands have been missing and that there's an opportunity to create a brand presence in a marketplace, you realize that this is a discipline that you have to stick to. You kind of have to make sure that people know who you want to be in the marketplace. What piece of advice would you give maybe a newer operator who's got a little bit of experience under their belt, but is trying to look at the Cassiolas, the Romis, the Outposts, the Moving Mountains as an example to scale towards? Do you have any piece of advice when it comes to saying no to every home that comes your way? Well, I think it's about defining your brand. I think your brand, a lot of people might think that, that having a brand is about having a nice logo or wearing a, a nice pink shirt as Dennis is modeling for us today. But there's a lot more to what Dennis does than just his logo and his and his colors. You know, that makes him identifiable in the marketplace. But, but behind that, I know from having talked to him that they have really defined and teased out and structured what their brand is. Every standard, uh, because they've gone through the franchising process, they've really had to take that to the next level. But making sure that internally and then externally that you can say, these are our standards. This is who we are. This is how we do things. You know, that is that is where you need to be. And in the beginning, you don't realize the value of that. But if you did that early on, I think if we had done more of that early on, it, it would have saved us a lot of heartache because it becomes the foundation from which you build your company. I agree with that. It, it's more about the experience. Um, every one of our homes is, is unique. So a lot of people think about standards, um, that things have to be exactly the same, like, like what you have in hotels. But that's 
the opposite of, of what we stand for, right? We want to go for that authentic, uh, unique experience. But the experience itself, um, from the entry, the, the the communication up front, to what you find in the house, what you need to bring yourself, uh, where to go for for questions, um, that should be as streamlined and, and uh, standardized as possible. And a good example is uh, uh, we were just talking. I, we just got back from IMN, and um, I was a little bit late to book our hotel rooms. So I wanted to book like three days before the conference at the the um, conference hotel. It was ten thousand uh, dollars for two nights per person. So for three of us, that would have been thirty thousand dollars. So I thought no way. So I went on Booking.com and I found a great deal: um, six hundred dollars for a three-bedroom apartment, uh, five minutes away. And we got there, and it it was just an eye-opening experience. Uh, first of all, um, it, it was like a maze to park your cart and get to the entrance. And it's so it's it's something that that you don't think about anymore because once you know where to go, um, you get so used to it that you don't see the struggles of your guests anymore. But it took us 15, 20 minutes just to find out how to get into the parking garage, where to park our car, how to get everything back into the building. There was like a little key fob um, that we needed to use to open the door, but no one explained it to us. We didn't know that that it was a key fob uh, to start with. It just looked like a like a label on the remote for the garage so it's those kind of things that are important uh, um, the whole guest experience uh, the branding in the home the signage um, the, the arrival communication how can they reach out to you during their stay um, that is what we try to standardize and and that should be the same in every casiola home that you stay at whether it's in orlando or ruba the, the home itself, the environment is going to be completely different, but what you find in the home and, and how it works, that should be uh, the same wherever you go. Mm -hmm. I love that. Brandy and Megan, I'm curious, you know, Megan, you're in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. I think you guys more focused towards homes and condos and Brandy, obviously the multifamily building structure uh, from Miami to New Orleans. Where do you guys see that kind of conversation leaning towards in your markets and your operations when it comes to, you know, growth and inventory count, but also maintaining that higher level of quality from being like, as Robin and, Den and uh, Dennis have said, being a little bit more picky on who you allow in and how do you standardize that? So it's interesting. Most of my career has actually been in the Panhandle, Florida, career and vacation rentals. And there were along the strip of 30A, which is where I was focused, there were about 15,000 vacation rentals at the time, right? And so my previous company, 360 Blue, we had this like very easy formula to understand our point of profitability and what was worth taking on and what wasn't worth taking on our program. And I can talk a little bit more about like what that formula looks like. But moving to Jackson, there are 850 professionally managed homes in the entire town and um, surrounding area of Jackson because so much of the land is protected through the National Park Service um, and just like owners that have thousand acre farms, right? Or Harrison Ford, who has a lot of land here. So much of it is protected and there really is this like finite amount of land to build. So the supply is so much smaller, which is allowed us to reach this point of profitability where if we bring on a two-bedroom condo versus a seven-bedroom home, like of course 
course, the seven bedroom home is making more money, but it makes sense for us to take on any inventory that we can get to have this like growth in Jackson. Um, and it's so like the market is so concentrated that it's easy to get from place to place. Right. And that can impact you depending on how spread out your properties are. If you're traveling like in on 30A, we would travel from one end to the other. Plus we had some homes in Panama Beach. Um, yes, of course. So this uh, question said, can I go over the point of profitability? Oh, wow. That's a cool feature. I didn't, I like this. Okay. So we had this massive spreadsheet and it had every single property on it, what our projected income for that property was in a given year and what our commission rate was. So we knew initially what we were going to be taking home. And then how much do, do we pay housekeepers annually to take care of this property? And how much are we bringing in from a housekeeping income point of view? How much time does the owner take? And so we would use our owner relations team who would go through their properties. They were assigned specific properties or are assigned specific properties so they could really speak to their relationship with the owner. Like this owner takes 30% of my time. Okay. Well, if that owner relations person makes X dollars and it's 30% of their time, it allowed us to assign this like value that our team was spending on it. Then we set a specific value for like finance and marketing. And of course that varies per property. But it was just helpful for us to understand like, okay, on average, we spend $10,000 of staff time plus this $30,000 of our owner relations team members time. And here's how much money we're actually making off of the property. And it allowed us to say like, okay, well, unless we take on a home that is going to bring us in $80,000 of income, it is not worth it or $60,000 of income, right? Like that, it really determines like, or depends on your business model to figure out what that point of profitability is. And the formula isn't 100% foolproof, right? But it gives you this um, general idea of what to expect and where you know, like, okay, if I bring on an owner that isn't going to bring in X amount of income, like we're going to lose money on it. And so unless it's a strategic play and this owner has multiple friends that we need to get on the program or they are building five other properties, like it's probably not worth your time. I love that. So a little bit of a formulated pickiness where you get to actually plug and play and see how it kind of fit into the overall model. Exactly. All right, Brandy, how do you see it? So I definitely, when Robin was saying in the beginning, like you just kind of take whatever you can get. I definitely relate to that, especially when we were starting off and we were pivoting from the single family homes to trying to get into multifamily, like full buildings. It's very difficult when you have no track record. So you kind of have to take what you can get in that respect. And in South Florida, there's a ton of supply, but a lot of that supply is in huge condos and you're not taking over, you know, a thousand unit condo building. So it was, it's been interesting trying to find that supply in South Florida. And then the quality of that definitely really varies. Um, And that can be difficult because we have, there's some problem children in our portfolio where they're just, you know, they're older buildings and there's a lot of maintenance issues that come with that. So you have, and you know, the Florida weather is not kind to these buildings. So you have to factor that in as well. Whereas conversely in New Orleans, there is just incredible, like so many beautifully renovated warehouses and big buildings like that, that are, we'll take them all like beautifully, beautifully restored. There's like very, like comparatively very few maintenance issues and we will, you know, 
there have been very few deals that we've passed up that we've been presented there. We definitely, it's kind of like knowing your market and knowing what the quality of that construction is like. Um, also with owners, there are definitely some owners where you are like, wow, like some owners that take up just a wildly disproportionate amount of our time. So that's something that we, you know, some of these deals we've had for many years. Um, and in the beginning, you can't be as picky because you just have to get some sort of record. Um, and now we're definitely, you know, there's a much we don't have a quite the formula uh, that Megan had, but there's definitely a lot more vetting that goes into it. And we, you know, from experience, our contracts become more uh, precise and detailed based off of all these experiences that we have. So, um, you know, from knowing which costs, like maybe the owner has to cover those costs, but do they have to hire the contractor? Like all these like little details that when you're coming up with these contracts, when you're just starting out, you think you have your bases covered um, and you learn that you maybe you don't. Um, um, but going forward into 2024, I think our vision is just, you know, yeah, making sure the product is the right product and that it's not going to be a detractor from a time perspective um, as well, because it's not just about the revenue. There's a lot of other considerations. So being picky, um, but being open to maybe opportunities that we wouldn't have necessarily looked at before. That's very good. And I, you, you both have mentioned some certain things, and I think this is a, a great conversation to segue into wasn't fully preparing for this, but, you know, I think Robin, for you specifically, I know ever since Darm and the book Unreasonable Hospitality has been <laughs> such a, a, a big thing for you and, and me, and I think everyone on this call, but also we're talking about scale and we're talking about being picky and formulas and all these things that kind of add up into growth. And when you have growth, sometimes hospitality is missed. Do you think there is a proper way to scale and grow and run a business with good PNL, good profitability and good like reviews and owner retention and all these other things, but also maintain a level where you can execute hospitality within your business. Or do you think once you get to a certain point that has to kind of shift one or the other? And I'll leave this open to uh, anybody. Well, I love that question because it's the question that I asked to Will Godera when he was speaking at, at Durham. We had this fantastic Q&A at the end of uh, his uh, keynote address. And uh, really, you can tell that uh, this author, it runs through his blood, the way that a few of us in the industry have been talking about hospitality over the years. Um, you know, so the question is, as you scale, you know, it has been demonstrated that the larger companies tend to have lower Google review scores, um, that their cracks seem to appear a little bit more in these companies um, than in the smaller operators where we can kind of keep our finger on the pulse. Um, and his answer was, you know, we, we continue to grow our business beyond 11th Madison Park. By the time they actually, they sold their business and by the time they sold their restaurant group, they had some 10 restaurants with, um, I think over a thousand employees serving, as he said, tens of thousands of meals every week, every month. And, um, it comes from having a commitment to, um, concepts like unreasonable hospitality. So. You know, our company is called Moving Mountains for a reason. Um, from the very beginning, we've always talked about the, the idea that we would move a mountain for our guests. Um, for me, just hearing unreasonable hospitality as a way of kind of throwing fuel on the fire for us. Um, it's going to be a theme in our company. It's a fresh way to look at what we do. And um, I think it's also inspiration to take it to the next level, um, because I think this idea of doing something completely unreasonable and the fact that that can actually um, even though it might involve spending more time, even might involve spending more money, 
um, what he has demonstrated is the value um, in terms of the impact that you create, the way that you make people feel about your business is actually more meaningful to the long-term success of your, of your company. It doesn't mean that you can go out there and give free lodging, um, and, and, but I think it also demonstrates um, that that's really not what's required is what's required and what they demonstrate so well in the book is how well they listened to their, um, to their clients and what their clients were looking for and how they were waiting for moments where they could make a difference. And it's something we talk about um, as we have a, a, a large team, especially seasonally in the winter with shoulder drivers and additional staff to support in the field, is the people that are on the front line who are in front of our guests need to know that they, they are empowered to listen and then act to make a difference to the guest. I think for us, um, a big example has always been Disney. We're in the, um, the mouse's backyards. And I think Disney proved that a company, just Disney World alone, employs directly more than 80,000 uh, uh, people here in Orlando and worldwide, a lot, a lot more. And they show that they can take this um, to the next level, um, that they can have that in reasonable hospitality um, at, at scale. doesn't matter if it's theme parks or, or cruise lines. They are just way, way, way ahead of the, the competition. And it's it's just in their DNA. Um, I, I did a couple of courses from the, the Disney Institute. Anyone can, uh, um, can join them. So they have a, um, a separate division where they train uh, business leaders. Um, everyone that starts at Disney also has to go through their um, through their courses, and it's it's just amazing. They have a blueprint of having this this uh, um, unreasonable hospitality at, at scale, and I'm not gonna say that it's easy. Um, but if you follow those steps, you're gonna get pretty pretty close. I think it's it's amazing. I, I can highly recommend anyone uh, to to go there, um, look at the website Disney Institute, and and see when their next uh, course or summit is. Definitely, uh, yeah. The the what do they call it the Imagineers is what they're called the the people that engineering make is their uh, department that creates new attractions so um they're they're uh, part of it but every frontline worker goes through the same um yeah course and and it's called disney traditions um it's a few days and they just learn you how to um yeah deliver that exceptional guest service and they empower their people to to do that every single uh, person that works in the park they 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 know what they can do if they see a kid running um and and they drop their popcorn they know that they have um, the, the empowerment to, to get them a new popcorn for free or give them a balloon or a shirt or a stuffed animal. So they, they really empower their people to, to create those magical moments for the guests. I love that. I miss those days of uh, hotel management where I could do the same, but uh, running a remote company is a little different. I'm curious, you know, Brandy, you mentioned the word product specifically on the last kind of topic and shift that we had. And so I want to know, do you guys look at unreasonable hospitality and the product that you offer and the service that you offer as in a way that is actually reasonable? And it's hard to ask that question because, you know, unreasonable hospi hospitality is supposed to be unreasonable, but in the product of vacation rentals and short-term rental management, I find it's, you know, you're such a different beast, even though hotels still have the same type of struggles every now and then they have investors and owners and groups kind of behind the actual real estate. So I'm very curious, where is that fine line uh, balance between product and, and unreasonable hospitality? 
Yeah, it's um, I was so bummed to have missed Darm because I absolutely love that book. And when I was reading it, I thought like there's so many things that I would love to implement. But I also like there are some realities of running the this business. Like we run with a very, very lean team. So I think for us, you know, the focus is making sure that we're delivering like a well-maintained, clean product, making sure that if we are having any operational issues that we're attacking them and then also training our frontline staff, like our housekeepers and our maintenance techs who are really the ones that are probably interacting with the guests the most um, like on property, like some guest experience you know, training so that they know how to properly agree or interact with a guest or help a guest with something because those are the touch points that they're going to have during the stay. I would love to have, you know, a, the bandwidth and the money to do some really fun things. Um, and, you know, we encourage our team members if they overhear something like it's an anniversary or a birthday, you know, and they want to buy like a bottle of champagne or flowers or something like that, there is room to do that. But I think that, there have been some realities of the last year and I think the coming year of making sure that we have our house in order and making sure that we're providing a great service for the guest. And then, um, you know, we can work on having all these extra, uh, extra things on top of that. Our product is much different than Robin's and it's a different clientele. It's a different expectation. And I also think like when I was reading Unreasonable Hospitality, you had like a 200 person staff for one restaurant. So you have a overwhelmingly large staff for what the operation is. And when you have more bodies, you know, they had those dream weavers, people whose sole responsibilities were, you know, creating these incredible, like blow your mind moments. And so I think within, we have to kind of work within the boundaries that you have and um, finding these options um, of, you know, like, what can I do that's not expensive? Like, it doesn't, you know, can't give away free stays all the time. Um, but I think focusing on providing the product the customer paid for and then treating or training, rather, your staff, how to act with them, the people that are actually going to be interacting with them during their stay. And then they love that. People get shout outs all the time in their reviews because they had a positive, impactful interaction with that guest during their stay. Awesome. I think it's really or needs to be part of, of the culture and you have to set an example. Uh, we do a lot of stuff with with our team members, as some of you may may have seen on on uh, um, LinkedIn and, and other channels. And and the reason why we do is it's just to set an example and and to show them that you can do a lot of fun stuff uh, without a big budget. Uh, one of one of my favorite weeks is is actually coming up. Coming up in February around Valentine's Day, we have Love Week. And every year, um, it, it's like a secret angel uh, um, game. So everyone gets a special person and they have to surprise them every single day of that week. Um, in the beginning, we didn't have a budget limit, but we had to implement a budget limit. So it's now $15 a day. So it, it's a very, very low amount. But the goal is that you surprise them, that you send them a nice message, um, that you um, maybe give them a day off and, and take over their shift. Uh, um, just be creative, as creative as possible to make them feel like really appreciated and, and loved and, and do that with a very small budget. And if you do that internally, people are also going to apply that to, to the guest and, and the owner. So it's really part of the culture. And I know if, if you uh, read the book or, or you do one of his presentations, it seems like, oh, my God, they have so much stuff. It's so high end. Uh, they have huge budgets uh, um, to do that or deliver that the hospitality. 
but you have to be creative and, and train your team to be creative, uh, assisting a guest by just carrying their luggage from the car into the home. There's so much. It doesn't cost a thing. It's maybe two minutes of your time. But if you're inspecting a home and you see the guest arriving, just help them getting in. Make sure that they have the right door code to, to open the door. Um, those little things go a long way. And, and that's what people uh, remember. And that's what we call the extraordinary hospitality. I was going to say, I got to experience one of your amazing parties, uh, your Halloween one. So, you know, <laughs> shout out to all of your team that uh, really, you guys really do have a good time. It's a, a lot of fun to watch. Sorry, Robin, go ahead. I just wanted to add, I mean, what Dennis just said there is really key is it, this does not necessarily have to come with a huge um, budget. And, you know, I think what you, what you do for your guests as a standard, I don't think that anyone is suggesting that you would have to change that and suddenly become um, focused on delivering services at different levels. Um, what, what Will goes on to highlight in his book um, is about the, the model that they use is that 95-5. So they take 5% of their profits and invest that back into unreasonable hospitality. So it's very much about having a budget because that gives you a comfort level to spend when you need to spend. And then um, empowering your staff to look for the opportunity to spend that money. And maybe to occasionally do that in a completely unreasonable way. Um, you know, there's many different approaches to this, but I think if you have that mindset <laughs> of sometimes it's as much as an extra spending an extra five to 10 minutes, which essentially doesn't really cost you anything as a business, you're already paying for those staff. As Dennis said, taking the extra time for helping a, a, a guest who's really struggling with uh, getting into the residence, that can make all the difference instead of just texting back to the guests, you need to look up this in an app. You know, I, th I think um, we've become so tech focused at times that we forget that not everybody, especially someone another 10, 20 years on from, from our age group, not everyone's used to and excited about having another app on their phone. Maybe they don't even have a smartphone. And uh, it is important for us to realize that it's the power of personal connection that can often deliver that value at no real cost to the business. But it's just helping people to, in your team, empowering them to understand that you really got to look for these opportunities. Yeah, I feel like we Rob, have a Will Gadara fan club right now. I, I yeah. would like to be the president. I'm so, I, <laughs> although Robin should probably be the president, um, I'm obsessed with him. Like the book is incredible. No, I was just gonna say, and there's a there's a certain couple round of you know topics and questions I wanted to get to, but this is such a important topic that I think we all have on top of mind, especially through LinkedIn and all of our inner circles that we run with. Um, but Robin, I kind of wanted to point something to you. And knowing that your expan expansion out of just vacation homes, uh, going into what you guys are building with moving mountains, or not moving mountains, sorry, moving oceans and moving beaches, you know, safety. And I think, you know, there's obviously when we come to the, the topic of of product and the way that we are getting to be a little bit pickier with our product and the way that you get to, you know, kind of avoid those downfalls of just accepting any home. How do you guys look at safety when it comes to expanding into this vertical, especially this is a little bit more luxury. This is a little bit more higher spend type of, of, I hate calling them a customer, but type of guest and customer client, whatever word you want to use. How do you guys look at that from an overall business perspective? Oh, I think safety is another one of those non-negotiables. I mean, we're extremely fortunate to have people like Justin Ford and um, 
you know, there's a couple of others out there that are are really helping to bring safety as a topic to the front. I, I think we're beginning to see it as a day one topic at some of the larger conferences and um, people's attention is up just because of the amount of awareness that people like Justin have brought to this. You know, when you see people, when you see stories about people dying in vacation homes, right, I instantly go as an owner. I never want to be in that situation that 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 might happen as a result of us failing to do something that is really non-negotiable, failing to ensure that smoke detectors are, you know, are in, um, what is it? They can actually, uh, they can expire. So they have to be within their date of use. Uh, they, they should be uh, tested regularly. They should be connected. Um, they should, you know, Justin is brand specific. So there are some that don't output enough noise. I think, you know, these are the, these are the basic bare bones that, become non-negotiable in our business because um, at the end of the day, the guests are trusting us not only with their vacation plans, but you can argue that they're even trusting us with their lives. And, uh, you know, we never want to be in a situation where as an industry that that becomes a challenge. I mean, it isn't, it is a challenge out there because there are people that are paying very, very little attention to safety right now. And we've been lucky to this point that, um, you know, it's not an everyday occurrence that a vacation home catches fire, but, my my hope is through the kind of work that we're doing, training our staff to, uh, you know, going through the Breezeway safety training course is that we can ensure that that never happens in one of our homes. And God forbid that something like that should happen, that it never results in an injury or loss of life. Um, I truly, truly think that that's um, fundamental. And and more and more people are showing up to these to these seminars because they're all beginning to realize the same thing. Yeah, and his uh, safety week was a big week for us on our vacation rental micro school. So lots of replays and listens on that. And uh, every time I hear Justin talk about it, my mind gets blown away. And I immediately go to my business partner and text him a whole list of things that we need to go double check. So I totally agree. Uh, Dennis, I'm very curious for you going into kind of safety, but also social responsibility. You are a big fan of this. You've talked about it before. Um, before we start getting to the kind of closure of this roundtable, love any open thoughts that you have to share with the live viewers sure that's that's actually our big theme for 2024 so social responsibility uh, uh, or, or what they call business for good so we are of course in business to make money uh, but we also want to do good for the the community around us be the best neighbor we can we can be uh, be good for our employees and be good for the, the environment and the planet. And it was actually really an eye-opener a few uh, months ago. I was invited by Booking.com to their headquarters in Europe. Um, and they're so far ahead of us um, on, on, on the, the field of sustainability. Uh, um, they have all those campaigns uh, going on. Um, they have uh, vegan meals uh, available. They, they, it's just amazing. And, and it's not just in, in Europe, but also in other parts of the world that this becomes so much more important. And as we do have a lot of, of international travelers, I think that's going to be a big team for the next uh, few years. So we want to be prepared uh, for that. We have the ambition to become a B Corp in the next uh, year um, and, and get another couple of other quality labels uh, too. So I think that's, that's a trend that you're going to see in our field in, in the next few years uh, for sure. I love that. This is going to be a new question, a new conversation for me. So I want to actually start with Megan. I'm going to give you the hardball. Okay. Um, this <laughs> is uh, this is something I'm just very curious. It doesn't have to be, and this is for everybody on the panel or 
not a panel, round table. Uh, it doesn't have to be a tech that you use today. It could be a tech you've heard of. I know we all get pitched to do demos and to look at this software and to check out this app and to do this and to do that. So don't pretend like you don't because I know we all do. And I'm probably guilty of introducing a couple of people to you all. So sorry about that in the future. Um, but I'm very curious, what tech vendor or software do you think is winning uh, or what won last year? What tech vendor do you think won 2023 for you, whether it's in your operations or outside of it? Okay. I feel like I have for, I feel like I have three answers Four. man, this is hard. Okay. So tied for first, I would say, or maybe just first. Yeah. Okay. Breezeway. Breezeway is number one. And I think that not, I think, in um, at every show that I went to this year, Breezeway was a standout in terms of just like raving fans, which when we were talking about unreasonable hospitality, I go back to Jeremy Sprinkle, who along with his brother started 360 back in the day. And he always talked about raving fans, like creating raving fans of your employees who will then create this incredible experience for your customers. And I am like a raving Breezeway fan. I've used it for a really, really long time, six, seven years probably. And I think they do a great job on the customer service side. And then um, just like across the industry, it feels like everybody has a gripe about every single vendor. Sorry, it just is kind of what it is, right? And I feel like Breezeway is the one that I haven't heard a whole lot of gripes about this year. All right. Jason's so going to kill me. <laughs> Anybody else? Anybody we don't use Breezeway, so I, I don't have direct experience with it, but it's it really stands out how many fans they have for any conference, any even... <clears throat> At the track user conference, everybody agreed that the breezeway is the greatest thing that they're using. So, uh, yeah, they must be doing something right. Yeah, I'm one of those fans. I, I have to agree. <laughs> Team breezeway. Robin? I would, yeah, yeah I would say the same thing. It's the only software that when we changed our PMS, um, it's, the, uh, it's the only software I've ever had our staff actually evangelizing internally um, because it was the only question that came when we changed our PMS was, Please, dear God, tell me we're not going to change from Breezeway. Um, but I would tell you that um, technology is definitely on our minds. And, uh, you know, to shrink the tech stack, we're, we're living in a world of death by a thousand subscriptions right now. And, um, you know, so we're going down the list, trying to evaluate where there's overlap. And there's too many buckets of data within our company right now. And that is maybe that's self-inflicted in that we went after best-in-class solutions to each of the technology, you know, problems we were trying to solve. So we have a specific live chat. We have a specific uh, texting platform. We have uh, three CRMs within our company because the CRM that in that's in track doesn't really meet our needs. Um, we use Salesforce to warehouse all the guest information and run marketing and guest services. Um, but but because of how we do our emails currently, we have a campaign monitor account as well. So. We are working on a uh, on a data management consolidation strategy right now. Um, you know, I feel like that we need that single source of truth. We need to stop having to look over here to see what the guests said in, to us in chat, in live chat, in Zingle, in WhatsApp, in SMS, by email, by phone. You know, those those need to be consolidated into one place because, um, as I've said many many times, we're in the relationship business. 
And I mean, we're, we're struggling to meet the needs of our guests who don't want to tell their story to us more than once. And yet they come and stay with us many, many times. And I mean, as much as we're succeeding in having long lasting relationships with guests, we are not giving our staff the tools they need um, in order to do that better. So that is probably top of my list in terms of 2024 things to solve. I hope that I can get to the end of this uh, this next year and tell you that we solved that issue because um, because it's the biggest um, of, of many small holes in the ship that we need to plug. Hopefully we'll be able to revisit all of this uh, as a group together and see how you did, Robin. I'm very curious. <laughs> Randy? Call me when you yeah. figure it out. <laughs> yeah, I was like, same. Um, we're, we're about trying to you know, have I, like our... I was going to say, I, we're working on this as a group with a few other property managers. I'd invite you to the conversation because there's a few of us trying to solve the problem together. And, uh, and I feel like if we can find a solution that works for two or three of us, then uh, you know it could be a solution that works for many in the industry. Because I, I know that we're not alone in this challenge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we want to have like our, our sources of truth. And right now we have two, which are Gastier, PMS, and NetSuite. And, but then there's all these other, there's like these little needs that pop up. And so it's definitely really, it's really challenging. Um, and try, we went through and just started just mercilessly cutting vendors last year, um, if they weren't absolutely necessary. So yeah, we'll, we'll circle back on that. I'm very, very curious, but I think, and this is not a a company that we use, but I think that they made a big splash, uh, last year with a, uh, was host away. I mean, just with such a massive funding round. Um, and you know, I don't really know anything about their inner workings. So I'm just curious to see what they do because I think there is this big PMS battle right now. Um, and I do think you'll see some people kind of fall off or merge all that. So curious to see, uh, if $175 million, uh, gets them anything. Yeah. Yeah. More, more to cover and follow on good morning hospitality, right? Exactly. Give us more content. (laughs) (laughs) Amen. All right. Now we're talking about tech wins. And yes, of course, Breezeway is a great company. Shout out to Breezeway. But my big tech win, not just because they're a partner of the podcast, is Minute. Minute is in all of our homes. So no matter what, we're remote managers. I'm in Colorado. My business partner is in Vancouver, Canada. And we have properties all over the country from Britannia, Canada, Seattle to Florida and many other locations. We need eyes and ears on our homes. And the reason why I love Minute and they were a big win for us is because they're privacy safe. They're not spying on your guests. And of course, they keep us up to date. They have a lot of technology built in. They have great integrations. They have a great integration with Hostfully, who's our PMS. So that's why we say Minute is our big tech win. Plus, the team is amazing. They're always constantly building. I see that the teams go on retreats and do engineer camps and do hacking things and try to better their skills as a company. So shout out to Minute and all that they do. They're my big tech win of 2023 and going into 2024. Check out the offer in the show notes. You can get two months free if you use our link for Slick Talk. Now back to the round table as we discuss a lot more around operating at scale. All right. So I have two more kind of questions and then I want to get to these uh questions from live viewers so outside of you guys at this round table as you're all legends among legends as i commented on robin's uh, linkedin post when he was promoting this so thank you guys 
but I'm curious, who do you think could be the next up and coming operator or brand in the industry that actually is properly operating at scale? Now, this can mean many different things, but just want to see who do you guys see being the next generation of hospitality operators out there? Um, I really think I found talking with Ben Wolf from Onera um, at a conference earlier this year or last year, I guess, really fascinating and like the business that he's built and um, like really unique stays. They do like 70 or 75% of their rev, uh, bookings through Instagram, which I think is wild. And so it's not traditional. And I think it's, you know, it's not traditional homes by any means. It's not a traditional way that like you know, most operators go. So I think it'll be just interesting to see uh, how how this year pans out for them. For sure. That's a I really good them. question. Okay. So one of my great friends, Brian Harris out of Gulf Shores, Alabama, has an awesome company that's growing, really focused on the luxury side. And he every time we have like a standing call once a month today, actually, and he's just like, he gives so many incredible tidbits. And um, I would say he's tied with the all days of Abode and Park City, but they're now in Sun Valley, Idaho, and they're also in Jackson. Um, they're mm. great and really like have this incredible operation. I'm staying with them next month in Park City. So tied, both of those. I love it. Dennis or Robin, do you guys see any up and coming new players? I think I, one I, of them is in the room with us today. I mean, I, I, I'm, I think uh, Dennis is onto something with his franchise model. And I think there is two or three of those out there. Um, Casago being another, um, that the, the rate of growth is maybe not much talked about. I, I don't know that Dennis has hit the full throttle yet, but I know that he's laying the foundation for that right now. Um, but the, a properly implemented franchise model uh, looks to me, to be maybe uh, a, a way that people are going to scale more um, sustainably. You know, um, it's one thing to go out and just you know buy companies that where people are looking to get off the bus, and just to kind of pull those brands into kind of a a pen. And whether you keep the local brand or whether you try to overlay a brand over that is one thing. But I, I think from a consumer point of view, that that we don't have really big brands. It's not really a presence yet. And I think a big brand that's focused on delivering an exceptional guest experience, um, maybe that has more of a chance. Um, I think there's probably more of a chance from what I've seen from the outside that a guest might begin to identify with a, with a Cassiola or a Casago as that's a company I've stayed with in this location that I'm going to seek out their homes in this location. I think, um, you know, and the other one uh, that I would say is just in general, people talk about there's riches and niches and there's a lot of new niche operators um, showing the face. I don't know that any of them have, you know, just by their nature, have plans to scale. But I think you'll see more niche operators appearing and establishing themselves and having their own following and that there's absolutely nothing wrong with that, you know, that they can cater to the needs of that client once that, you know, whether it's a treehouse in the woods or, um, I mean, surprising to me that people would want to go into the woods and completely disconnect for their entire stay. Um, because I just don't think that that's the world that we live in right now. But um, apparently there are people feeling that. So a company that caters to that, there's a niche. And there's probably a, a client group in this country that's that's interested in that. 
I'm really curious to see how companies that are completely vertic vertically integrated uh, are going to do in the next few years. An example is Techvester. So they, um, they, they buy the homes, they renovate them, they manage them, they do everything. Um, how that's going to turn out, the homes look amazing. Um, if they can really figure it out and, and scale it, I agree with Robin. You may have people that say, hey, I want to stay in one of those homes wherever I go because um, I had such a great uh, experience. But they control everything. So really, really interested to see where that's going to go. Awesome. Great, great names, great mentions. So I love that. Uh, mine is Bolt Farm Treehouse out in uh, the Smoky Mountains. So shout out to Tori and Seth. I think you guys are killing it. But my last question for all of you, and this has nothing to do with short-term rentals. It can if you want it to, but I'm very curious. And I'm going to actually start with Brandy. Uh, what is one thing you've changed your mind on in the last 12 months? Ooh, I think, you know, I will make it about work. Um, and it's just about adapting and like our kind of like what we, what our requirements are. Um, I think I always pr like prided us on pivoting, but now we, ha I, we committed to a model and I wanted that to be the only thing that we were focusing on. And I think now I'm learned to like, just broaden my horizons on what like to do what's best for the business, what's best for our employees and not be so stuck in like one, one mindset. Yeah. I love that. Now I'm going to, I'm going to pick Robin. Uh, what's one thing you've changed your mind on in the last 12 months? Still thinking <laughs> you're going to ask somebody else. <laughs> How about Dennis? Let's go. Let's go to Dennis. So what I've been doing in, in the last months or two months, I really was stuck in meetings the whole day. Um, I had seven, eight meetings a day, almost five days a week. And I had a feeling that I didn't accomplish anything anymore. It was Friday before I knew it and nothing of what I wanted to do um, was done or, or I haven't really accomplished anything. So um, we made some changes internally. Um, I have cleared my calendar. I still have a few meetings, of course, every week, but I really have time to work on the business and I love it. That's the part I love. We've been diving into processes, making videos to, to scale our operations. So just working on what I love to do and, and the operations side and the day-to-day, -day, um, I'm outsourcing to to other people that are maybe much better at it than I am. So yeah, love it so far. That's a yeah, good bombing change. your calendar. Bombing your calendar is like one of the best things you can do. Just like start mm -hmm. over <laughs> and only do what's absolutely necessary. Mm -hmm. I love that. Well, Megan, as a new time podcast host, you know, with workflows and espressos coming up, we have a lot of content to, you know, bring into your season. But I'm curious, what's one thing you've changed your mind on the last 12 months? I'm so excited um, about workflows and espressos, and I haven't changed my mind on podcasts. I've been excited for that, but I'm thinking, okay, so I put a really high emphasis on transparency with the team and like from a financial aspect to a strategy aspect, like it is one thing that I, I'm like kind of preachy about, but I feel like I've learned a hard lesson in the last year where I, in an effort to be transparent about the direction we're moving in, I've almost shared like too much prior to knowing the answers myself. And I think that's okay in some um, scenarios, but it's also not okay in others, right? In a scenario where it's going to lead to like 15 immediate questions or unnecessary anxiety for a team member or the team in general, I think it's been really um, 
I don't know, eye-opening for me to understand like when and when not to share information about like where we're going as a company or a new process that's in place or a new team dynamic that I'm working on. And um, yeah, I don't know. I think there's a way to be transparent, but also do so very intentionally. Hmm. That's a good one. I could probably learn from that. So (laughs) good, uh, good, good one there, Megan. Uh, Robin. All right. That's for last. Well, actually, so I got a hint from Dennis there because there was a lot of things swirling in my head. Um, I think I've really come around on the idea about um, outsourcing and uh, remote work. And that is uh, has a lot to do with the fact that that is um, how Heather and I are working right now. Um, so right now we're in Phoenix and operating our business that is in Colorado. Um, but as you mentioned, you know, we're diversifying into oceans and beaches. And that is allowing us as a business to have a footprint in other markets. So um, just by the very nature of those things, we have kind of taken a step back from the day-to-day running of the mountains business in order to be able to focus on um, the the flagship part of our um, oceans project, which is um, that we're building a catamaran to go into charter as a kind of an extension of our vacation rental business. It's the business we came from. It's something we've wanted to get back to for a while. Um, so I think learning that practically for ourselves um, and then also the fact that, you know, my marketing director lives in Oregon now. She's lived in Costa Rica. She moved from Steamboat because um, they lost their rental, their lease, and uh, and had to move to two other locations. Um, and then realizing that you can actually function that way. I mean, we're, how we're meeting today is very much how we meet as a team. Um, and many of our meetings, you know, what I realized is many of our meetings, even when I was physically present in Steamboat, I could meet with somebody where I was upstairs in my office and they'd be downstairs in their office. It was actually more practical to meet with um, a group of people. We got used to working this way. Um, my revenue manager lives out in the East Coast. Um, and, you know, once you've, once you've kind of crossed that, that fence and you're into the idea that you can have, um, you know, obviously you can't clean and maintain homes in a location neutral manner, but there are many jobs within our business. Um, our finance director is uh, is located in the Midwest, and uh, it has opened our minds to the idea that there's a bigger talent pool when everybody doesn't have to live in Steamboat, um, Breckenridge, Vale, and Beaver Creek. You know that um, that's that's strengthening our business. Um, it's actually it's offering our employees more flexibility. Um, I had one of my reservationists ask about moving to New York, and in the past I probably would have really struggled with that. But you know, housing is an issue in our mountain towns and we need to adapt where necessary. And uh, that's part of the evolution of, you know, of meeting the needs of the marketplace and realizing that talent can, we can work collaboratively um, in all different ways. But behind that, we've had to bring up to date our remote working policies and our, you know, who covers the cost of getting to work or getting to an important meeting, that kind of stuff. Um, So like everything, we've had to figure it out as we go. Um, but we're definitely getting better at that. And and that definitely is a corner that, that I think we turned in the last year. I really love that. This is one of my favorite questions. That's why I was being a little weird before getting on the recording <laughs> with all of you guys, because I was really curious what you guys were changing or changed your mind on the last 12 months. So uh, before Great we wrap question. it up, yeah, I, I really personally had sat on that one for a while. Um, we have one question I wanted to bring up because I have had the the pleasure and joy of being in a car with Brandy and Andreas and uh, a couple other people in the industry for an over an hour and a half listening to a PNL call. So one of those questions is is from Bentley, and he goes, "How do you manage expense growth 
or expense control with growth, especially from a staffing point of view. And the reason why I'm starting with you, Brandy, before we wrap all of this up with everybody is to, is because you and Andreas were talking about the unit, uh, unit economics when you add more units or add more buildings, but not adding more team and actually having the team stay the same and controlling that cost. I'm very curious. How do you guys, uh, what would what advice would you give Bentley here? Yeah, I think your employee ratios are really important and doing the work to figure out what those are. So you can basically just create a, your calculator of like, okay, we have X number of employees that can handle X number of units. And then once we cross that threshold, we need one more guest experience person or we need one more maintenance tech. And what we try to tell the team, the initial reaction is that we always want to hire more because obviously that makes everybody's job easier. But we're trying to say, okay, think about like, if we have more room in payroll, that could actually go towards your salary um, and giving you a raise. Uh, so what do you, what is your actual workload that you can handle? And there's some positions that are easier to calculate, like in uh, guest experience, for example, it's like how many messages, phone calls, you can start to see when the call volume or message volume gets too high and the communication score starts to go down that might, okay, now it's time to add some more people and there's a threshold there. So I think definitely coming up with your own calculator for all your different departments and then using that to, to gauge. And for adding staff, it's different if you're adding a like 20 unit building versus like a 100 unit building, there will obviously be different staffing considerations. But I think developing your own calculator uh, will help you kind of get a good, good handle on the, the staffing requirements. 100% agree and there. Your property to people ratio, I think is really important. And so if you want to sacrifice a little on service, for example, in you know, three areas because you really, really want to keep your team super lean, then um, maybe you have a higher property to employee ratio, right? Or if you're like, hey, I want to focus solely on the guest experience. Un what unreasonable hospitality looks like to me is meeting every guest when they check in or, um, you know, having somebody give a full tour of every single property or having three maintenance techs assigned to one, pro right? Like everybody's experience is a little bit different depending on what you consider to be like your goal for your business. And then you'd have a little more employees, right? But we do the exact same thing. Like, okay, as soon as we reach X number of new properties or we have 15 homes in the pipeline and we just sign five more, like we're going to bring on one maintenance tech. And then the next time, but I also communicate the same thing to the team. Brandy, like um, recently our marketing team, we've been having so much design work and we've been utilizing a contracted designer in addition to our creative director. And we had this conversation of like, okay, what does this look like? Do we need to bring on another contracted designer or do we bring in another full-time employee? Well, what that means for you is it's going to ultimately cap out like what we're willing to spend on this department. Granted, like not one person can take on a hundred hours worth of design work, but is it worth it to you? And allowing the department head to be a part of that decision, like, okay, this will allow your salary to increase X percent and you'll be able to have a, ha a part-time design person. Like, would you prefer that? And a lot of times employees will say like, no, I would prefer another employee. And um, I don't know, making them part of that decision, I think has been really helpful for us as well. Love that. Dennis, I'm curious with you. You're in Aruba, Miami, and Orlando. Does this uh, ever play a big part of the conversation at the office with you guys? Absolutely. And um, it's great to hear all those ratios, but we came to find that it's so hard to have a standard ratio for different destinations. For example, those oceanfront properties in Aruba, they're huge. 
Um, they they need so much more maintenance and it takes so much longer to inspect and clean them than, than a home in Orlando or a condo in Miami. So it, it's you really have to look at the type of property uh, that you have and, and uh, on the location. Another thing not to, to forget is besides staffing, um, we have an amazing CFO. He comes up with budgets for, for everything. Um, controlling the rest of your spending, it, it's, that's actually the, the easy part, but a lot of people just don't know what their budget is for guest amenities for the next year or, or uh, what they can spend at, at conferences. And, and yeah, then you get uh, FOMO kicking in, you need to be there. And before you know it, you, you spend like a ridiculous amount on, on conferences or travel or, or other things, parties in our case uh, per year. Uh, so just by having a set budget in the beginning of the year and trying to stick to it uh, has helped us getting costs uh, down. Um, the, the amount of, of revenue that each maintenance stake had to bring in per, per week, per day, we, we have targets for them each uh, day. They have a certain target to reach just by, by sharing that with them and showing them uh, week after week, like, hey, you're, you're this uh, far away from your target has, has helped improving our, our bottom line uh, so much. Uh, so, yeah, look at that, too, not just uh, the staffing, but what are they bringing in? Yeah, shout out to Michael. Michael Scott, the man, he's a great, great CFO. I love getting WhatsApp messages from him. Got a couple today. Shout out to you. And now, Robin, before we let everyone go, anything for you on that conversation and that topic? Yeah, I think it's, um, you know, it's, again, an evolution when you can talk about your business in terms of KPIs. Um, so that concept that Megan mentioned there is exactly how we're um, also looking at hiring decisions, it gets that much easier when you have, when you know that you're heading towards a certain, you know, property count, um, what that's going to trigger. And I mean, it's natural that it should, you shouldn't be sitting there saying, well, just, you know, I realize we've taken on more homes, but you just have to fit that into your day. At some point that's going to overstretch your staff and you're going to end up with, you know, you don't want to be in a situation where you're going backwards that people start quitting and then you're in a double hiring situation when you should have hired somebody six months ago and now you've got to hire two people so um, that's all part of stabilizing your business um, i think you need to have those kpis on every area of the business so you're looking at cost of sales cost of marketing um, because you need to have something that keeps you on track um, as you grow your business because year over year is not really a good way to run your business if your if your property count is growing by 10 percent then some costs are going to follow that and some costs are going to stay the same. Ideally, you're getting to a point where you're improving your profitability as you grow, but you, you've got to keep an eye on that. And one of the best ways is using KPIs. Couldn't have said it better myself. You guys are all awesome. Thank you so much for taking the time to join this roundtable. I honestly look up to all four of you so much and the, the way you operate and the way you present yourselves in the industry. Uh, the reputations that you guys hold is all incredible. You're all amazing leaders. And I just want to say thank you. So for anyone who tuned in on the live, thank you again for tuning in. If you have more questions, feel free to email us at management at hospitality.fm. Love to answer your questions. And then if you're getting this on the podcast or the replay, shout out to all these guys, like, and subscribe and do all the things that you're supposed to do. And until then, we'll see you on the next round table. Thank you so much for listening and thank you to our show partners for making Slick Talk, the hospitality podcast possible. We hope you enjoyed the show and we would love to connect with you outside of the podcast. 
So you can follow us on all of our social media channels for daily hospitality content or find us on slicktalkthepodcast.com. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode. I'm your host, Will Slickers, and we will see you guys all again next week. Thank you.